1: Now, from our nation's
2: capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm calling on the Biden
3: administration today. Secretary Marcus do your damn job.
4: This is the best chance that we have to control the borders. American border problems won't be fixed until Congress acts.
5: The only thing that changed was the administration and the administration policy.
4: Bloomberg
2: Sound On.
1: Politics, policy and perspective.
2: From D.C.'s top names.
1: It's been nearly one year since Russia's cruel and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. A very
6: significant grinding battle of attrition. When there is a hope and when there's a lost man standing, there is a chance to win this war. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
2: Kevin McCarthy makes another run for the border, but the stare-off with Democrats drags on. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we grab the third rail in a conversation with former Texas Congressman Will Hurd. President Biden is packing for Poland. We'll look at what's behind the mission with our signature panel, including Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. And don't bet on crypto regulations this year in Congress. Nathan Dean will join us from Bloomberg Intelligence that's actually running odds on legislation. Did the U.S. just shoot down a $13 hobby balloon? We'll talk to the man who builds them. Speaker Kevin McCarthy makes his first trip as speaker to the southern border bringing a delegation of freshman Republican House members to Arizona, where they toured customs and border protection operations in Cochise County. He spoke with reporters with the border wall as a backdrop. Listen.
5: There has been no legislation change. But why has the border, why has this region gone from 66,000 people coming across to 250,000? Why is everybody who comes across here wear camouflage outfit and rugs on their feet? Why are we catching so much fentanyl? The only thing that changed was the administration and the administration policies.
2: He was ready uh, and promised legislation here, but made clear in conversation with reporters. You listen to this, that it's not ready yet. Here's McCarthy again.
5: We've got a lot of ideas inside Congress, It's different than the Congress before. We're just not going to write the bill and put it onto the floor. We're going to listen to the people that are on the border. We're going to listen to border agents. We want the very best ideas and we're going to be challenged. Yes, we're moving it now, just as we bring our
2: committee down here. OK, so legislation forthcoming, presumably. And we recall, of course, President Biden's urgings at the State of the Union to pass his
4: immigration plan. Here he is again, remember? We now have a record number of personnel working to secure the border, arresting 8,000 human smugglers, seizing over 23,000 pounds of fentanyl in just the last several months. We've launched a new border plan last month. Unlawful migration from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela has come down 97% as a consequence of that. Remember, Kevin McCarthy was shaking his head when the president
2: called on Congress to pass his legislation. But all we have in the meantime here is, is a lot of photo opportunities. McCarthy's trip today, followed by other Republican delegations in the next couple of weeks. Minority leader uh, Hakeem Jeffrey showed up on the border today with a trip to Laredo, Texas. And so we wanted to talk with Will Hurd, who, of course, represented a border district in Texas. The 23rd covers about 500 miles uh, between San Antonio and El Paso served on the Intelligence Committee, dealt with the immigration issue a lot after a career in the CIA and wanted his view on all of this. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg. It's great to have you. Is there any chance of getting immigration reform through this Congress, or is this really all for show?
6: Uh, I think it's going to be difficult because, unfortunately, um, a lot of folks um, are more interested in using this issue as a political bludgeon against one another in campaigns rather than actually solving the issue. And... This is an issue that started becoming a crisis under the last administration, the Trump administration, and has just ballooned um, under, under the Biden administration. And look, we know what fixes needs to happen. It's not like there's some new thing that needs to be co- that needs to come up to be done. You've got to stop treating everyone that's coming across the border as an asylum seeker. Um, we can talk further than that if you want. We we need to stop. You know, I know the president's mentioned these eight thousand human smugglers. Yeah, uh, I don't know where those eight thousand human smugglers were were dismantled because we should be dismantling networks throughout Central and, and South America. Um, we should be working on streamlining legal immigration as well, mm-hmm. um, and we should be still working on some of the root causes that is causing people to leave their home. Historically speaking. You know, a lot of illegal immigration was coming from Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala over the last year and a half or so. It's basically almost every country um, that, that has been coming here. But historically, that's the problem. We can be addressing those root causes there. So so those are those are some of the buckets that we need to be addressing.
2: Well, Speaker McCarthy says he's on a listening tour, though, kind of like they're starting from scratch here. If you think that we already know the solutions, why can't we start writing a bill?
6: Yeah, look, I, I, so so part of this also is, is implementation of existing laws. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about Title 42. This is using health reasons to prevent somebody from coming in the country. Mm-hmm. But there's already legislation, there's already uh, a rule called Title 8. Now, Title 8 basically says that if somebody is coming into the country illegally, um, oftentimes defined by... Coming in between our points of entry, that doesn't have proper identification, that they're 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 illegally in the country and can be deported. That doesn't have to go through an immigration court. It, it's 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 expedited removal that can be happening immediately. Why um, uh, that's using that Title Eight was something that stopped under the Trump administration, and and President Biden's administration has has continued this notion of asylum. Asylum is, is very clear what asylum is. You have to be part of a protected class, meaning, um, you know, based on your, your gender, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation, and that you're being persecuted by your government because you're a member of that protected class or you're being persecuted by a group because you're part of that protected class. And your government won't defend you, right? like those are the reasons. Doesn't
5: that,
2: that cover pretty legitimacy. much all of Central America, though?
6: No, it, it doesn't. It actually doesn't, right? But and, if you're coming from an so, oppressive
2: uh, an oppressive regime and you're knocking on the door okay, here at so, the United so, States, it, how do you make that judgment?
6: Well, so so, so it, it, it's 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 clear in, the, in legal terms, right? So so Honduras, Guatemala, you know, Costa Rica, it's not happening now. Uh, Venezuela, Cuba, even Russia. Now that is something that is is it's it's a little bit it's a little bit you know there's more likelihood that those grounds are met. If you look over the last thirty years, of people that have asked that have sought sought asylum in the United States, the numbers somewhere between like thirty-five to forty percent actually get asylum. Um, So that means you know seventy to sixty percent are actually not. So. So trying to come to the U.S. to get a, a better paying job is not a reason to 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 seek asylum. So, and, oh, and by the way, because this system is being abused, the people that really need asylum are getting impacted by mm-hmm. this. And so so that's a big reason why you're seeing this 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 influx. Um, Let me ask so, you if we can so just like, flip the
2: coin yeah, here for a second sure. and something that Speaker McCarthy talked about today. And I thought it was interesting because. It, it you know there are different ways of looking at this you know do you go on the supply side or the demand side and do you go outside of the country as he's suggesting in this case to stop things before they ever get to the border here's mccarthy again
5: so if you want to stop fentanyl the first call you should make is to president xi it's exactly what i told president biden inside the oval office the other week call president xi and tell him to stop the chemicals coming down if you want to stop the cartels you got to be serious about it these are terrorist organizations Calm as such and take the action to stop them they are making billions of dollars they are human trafficking
2: so will Heard, how much of this is is a diplomatic failure as opposed to a security failure at the border
6: um, I, I think a lot of it and, and i would even broaden that into saying a diplomatic failure but also an intelligence failure um you know, we, it is hard to get from Guatemala City to Del Rio, Texas. And people, you know, when, when people are coming across the border and, and what people have to remember, the 2.5 million people that came to the country illegally last year, a lot of them in essence surrendered, you know, they came across the border legally, trying to find someone from border patrol and surrendered mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes they had a phone number of a, of someone who smuggled them. They had a license plate of a bus they were supposed to get on to transit through Central America and Mexico. Uh, They had a meeting location of where to go. A lot of that information is being collected by by Border Patrol. Our intelligence services need to be using that to work with partner uh, countries in order to dismantle those those networks. Yeah. See, that sounds like a much
2: more realistic or at least more effective approach here. And I know that you were always known for having kind of a, a high tech view on this. Uh, When it comes to border security, how do you layer that on on top of what we're talking about here? I know that you were not a fan of the wall, for instance, uh, which is something that Speaker McCarthy was talking about. Your quote back then, the wall was a third century solution to a 21st century problem. So how do we employ better technology here?
6: Yeah, and and look... So, so we should be able to have what the, the official type term is operational control of our border. We should know everything that's coming back and forth across our border. And guess what? Several mile-by-mile assessments mm-hmm. of what kind of tool needs to go along that border has already been done. We know whether a physical barrier, like, look, a physical barrier makes sense when there is urban-to-urban contact. But in far west Texas, where it takes border patrol hours or days to respond to something at the border, a physical barrier is not going to stop anything. So you need technology that can detect the threat and monitor that threat until someone's able to deploy. You need additional manpower um, for sure. So, so we know all of the different tools and mm-hmm. multiple administrations have done these mile by mile assessments. Those mile by mile assessments have found out the same thing. So, so this is a addition that we need. Like we, you know, everyone. This would be a lot less expensive balloons.
2: than building a, a wall the, the the length of the border, correct? This would be a money sure, saving yeah, it, solution. Yeah, it,
6: look, it, it is, and, 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 and it's a fraction of the cost. You know, we, yeah. you know, we're talking about all these balloons, right? The, the Chinese surveillance okay. balloon, and potentially okay. balloons plural. Right. There's a number of drones that are coming across our border in the southern border, and that's bringing in drugs and monitoring whether there's, there's um, border patrol agents. We're also seeing um, um, uh, unmanned vehicles in the, in the, in the oceans yeah. um, as well. And so, so, so we, we have to have an all the above approach, and there's not one thing that's going to fix this problem. It's multiple things, and it starts at the source. It starts you know, here in our country. Oh, and by the way, it's a fraction of the cost to, to deal with these problems um, you know, overseas than they are before they get to our border. And so, so we need people, we need leaders that understand all these things and are more interested in solving the problem that are going to work with people that, to be honest, that don't like one another in order to have some common sense problems to what's really a crisis.
2: The former Republican uh, Texas Congressman Will Hurd, I really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for being with us as we assemble our panel here And their take on this whole matter and our conversation, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Jeannie, are are we at the point here, as as Will Hurd is suggesting, of needing to redefine asylum?
7: You know, we very well may need to be at that point. But the reality is, and I think he's absolutely right, that the solutions are there. And the problem is what we're getting is a lot of, you know, politicking, certainly a lot of showboating. You know, you see uh, the Congress, the Republican side basically moving down to the southern border. They're planning to hold hearings for the next several months. But the reality is there are c- solutions in front of us that take congressional implementation. And what we haven't heard from Kevin McCarthy, is what the legislative agenda is going to be. He says he wants to hear from security people on the border. Yet, what about your legislative agenda? What do you yeah. want to do policy-wise is the real question. And that's something we haven't heard from the GOP.
2: We heard from a local rancher by the name of John Ladd, who showed up at the border with Speaker McCarthy. He was part of the group there talking to reporters. Interesting uh, to get the, I mean, there's, this is the real local view. Listen to what he said.
3: I'm a fourth-generation rancher down here. I haven't given up, but this is the best chance that we have to control the border. Uh, We talk about the fentanyl. We talk about the number of people that are coming to this country. But it's a national security threat. And I think America understands it, but they better wake up and
4: get behind this group of congressmen coming from Washington.
2: Rick Davis, obviously he was brought there because he he was agreeing with them and would say that in part. But tell our audience what us coastal elites don't get about that local view. You spent a lot of time in Arizona politics, not far from where they were today.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, with all due respect to John Latt, I assume he was not talking about Hakeem Jeffries uh, as the members of Congress <laughs> that he agreed with so much. Uh, look, I mean, these are these are real problems for local people, right? There are a lot of ranches, a lot of farms. Um, an enormous amount of dairy is produced, you know, on the, the border mm-hmm. between Mexico and Arizona, for instance. And, and, and you've got a lot of people just walking through uh, these facilities. I mean, you know, it's a porous border, and that actually means that people – just move right in. And they move into these border towns and they, they want to have their kids go to school in those border towns. They want to get jobs in those border towns. And yeah. and it puts enormous pressure on them. But, it, but with all due respect, I mean, it's 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 that's not the problem. Right. And I think that, you know, what's what's really great uh, about uh, having someone like, um, uh, uh, you know, a conversation like this today is there are already solutions to these problems right this has been picked apart a hundred times and it's a combination of existing law and and policies we know we we know we have to fix the dreamers problem the dreamers are now adults i mean like that should be the easiest thing in the world to do uh we know we need workers uh john ladd on his farm needs workers for that farm and where do you think he gets them Mm -hmm. you know and uh so these are these are all solutions with all due respect uh to uh the republicans and the democrats going down the border uh, this is not the first generation to look at this crisis, and they ought to just get together, and they can do it together at the border and, and come up with <laughs> a, so. a plan and bring it back to Washington. But uh, it really is one of those issues that is not that hard to solve, vexing political problems, and, and yet I think the politics is – is is so good for both parties that they they don't want to actually take the time and effort to fix it.
2: Are these trips anything more than photo ops? Jeannie uh, Speaker McCarthy says he's you know, he's on a listening tour. Essentially, what's Hakeem Jeffries doing there? The Democrats were accusing Republicans of photo ops.
7: Yeah, they're accusing Republicans of photo ops. They themselves are down there to show they are not ceding the border to the Republicans. And, of course, down there to make the case that they, too, want to own this issue. To Rick's point, it's a political win for both sides. And until they get beyond that, they're not going to come to the solution. But we know what the solution is.
0: You know success when you see it or you think you do Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
8: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?
1: Catch the program live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the
2: TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. President Biden's about to head overseas. It's Monday. He makes the trip to Poland. He'll be there Monday uh, for two days. We'll meet with the Polish president there. And we heard a bit about it, a little bit of insight from Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre on the purpose of the trip. Remembering we're just a week out here now from the anniversary, the first anniversary of the war in Ukraine. Here she is.
8: Look, this is going to be the one year he's going there ahead of the one year anniversary uh, and sending a strong message of solidarity. And, uh, and the president understand it to reaffirm, right, our support for the Ukrainian people as they're fighting back against a brutal war uh, that Russia started almost a year ago.
2: Also plans to meet with leaders of the so-called Bucharest Nine, a group of eastern flank NATO allies that have a lot of skin in the game right now. As we reassemble our panel with some thoughts on this, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, it's an important trip, Rick. Uh, the president will be in Poland. There's been some talk of him maybe even creeping over the border, but certainly the White House has, has no plans to announce anything like that now. How important is the journey? He's the only Western leader That has not actually been to Ukraine since this war started.
3: Sure. And obviously, uh, security uh, matters are the deepest requirement in that construct. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be careful as to what they do with the president. And and I don't think anyone doubts his his resolve on this issue. Uh, It's a great lead up this week uh, with the uh, Munich Security Conference happening uh, in Germany, where leaders from all around the world are there to discuss primarily Ukraine. Uh, and 60 senators from the United States went. There's no lack of uh, support and commitment uh, in the U.S. government to, uh, to Ukraine. Uh, and what is really interesting is Vladimir Putin, who's attended this event in the past, actually was disinvited. Uh, so this is a great lead up to the, the anniversary of the invasion. Uh, and I suspect that uh, the president and his team will use it to leverage uh, continuing uh, commitments from Europe and other allies around the world uh, and put increasing pressure on uh, on
2: on Vladimir Putin. He's got a few audiences on this trip. Jeannie, what is the most important one in Europe?
7: Yeah, you know, I, I think it is, but I also think the American public is equally important. You look at the latest AP APNORC poll on this, Americans still support Ukraine, but there is signs of waning there. It's not as strong as it was a year ago. And so he needs to continually make the case that he has been making, and we'll hear Kamala Harris make it in Munich, that we stand with Ukraine and this is a moral and just war and that there is no question about what we should be doing and of course Zelensky is going to keep asking for more money and more support as he should and the questions going to be how much can we how much can we support and for how long because you are hearing drop-off on both the right and the far left Mm. you know questions about budget questions about balancing budget debt all of those things come into play here so while I think Europe is critically important of course there is also the public both in the United States and in Europe who we need to appeal to and let's not forget look over in africa look at what russia and china south africa are doing just this week in terms of the these uh you know tests that they're running you know there is a worldwide audience here that has to get behind ukraine to make it through this next really important spring
2: what are the optics uh for this trip rick it's it's going to be a more casual uh look you have him go to a a refugee camp at the border if if those are even still there you have him mingling with locals what's the what's the white house communications office cooking up for this
3: yeah I, I i get the impression that it's going to be more like a working visit uh and uh and yet i would expect uh some kind of a central uh speech uh themed around uh the anniversary and mm-hmm. and uh, the global resolve uh and and i think it will be broadcast through the world right this is an important moment, uh, uh, both Uh, because of the anniversary, but also it just happens to be an important moment on the ground in Ukraine uh, in the fighting. And so I think that uh, he'll get a lot of attention. But I agree with Jeannie. I think he needs to come back from that trip and address the country because there is slippage in the polling uh, around support for the Ukraine. And and the Ukrainians in Munich right now are saying, hey, guys, shore up your base. Uh, Make sure that the American public are behind you because we need this to go the long haul. Uh, we got plenty of resources. They've only spent a fraction of the forty billion that have been allocated mm-hmm. uh, for the Ukrainians. So it's not so much an economic issue. It's going to be an issue around can we can we stay in the fight uh, as long as Vladimir Putin and, and further than Vladimir Putin thinks we'll stay in the fight.
2: Hearing General Mark Milley describe it, it he held a news conference earlier in the week ahead of uh, the the Munich conference with press uh, with uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, I should say, and he talked about. The, the the fight in the Donbas specifically, and what he was seeing on the battlefield. Listen to General Mark Milley.
4: Most of the uh, dynamic movement back and forth is in generally in the vicinity of Bakhmut. Uh, the Ukrainians are holding, uh, they're fighting the defense, the Russians, uh, primarily the Wagner group, are attacking. But there's a, what, what I would describe it as, is a, a really, uh, a, a very significant grinding battle of attrition with very high casualties, especially on the Russian side. Um, there, there's no fancy uh, arts of maneuver going on here. This is frontal attacks, wave attacks, lots of artillery uh, with extremely high levels of casualties uh, in that particular area.
2: It sounds brutal, Rick, and, and no end in sight. I mean, you're talking about shoring up support now. General Milley is making it sound like we're going to be talking about this a year from now.
3: Well oh, very well could. Uh, that's certainly uh, 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 the situation on the ground right now. There's no there's no real movement. Um, uh, and I think the point he's making about the fact that, you know, Bakhmut has become such a meat grinder. Um, I heard reporting today that 800 to 1000 Russian troops are dying every day in that wow. battle. Uh, I, I, it's just beyond my comprehension as to how long that is sustainable on a frontal assault day after day. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I, I think everyone has to be committed to a long haul. Uh, if that then means that that could generate a, a discussion around a, a uh, withdrawal of troops and a, and a peace agreement with Russia, great. But they're not going to withdraw if they think we're in the process of, of, of minimizing our commitment.
2: So Jeannie, zoom out the lens here and and look at this politically in a presidential campaign cycle. The war in Ukraine, funding for the war in Ukraine, or how you stand on this could really be one of the biggest issues in the presidential debate.
7: It certainly can. But I think the reality is that if, you know, when we go, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now and we look back, this will be the most important, or if not one of the most important moments of Joe Biden's presidency is what he has done to shore up support for Ukraine. We go back a year, how many people would have believed that Ukraine would be standing as strong as it is? That has a lot to do with the United States, Joe Biden's leadership on this. Even people like Lindsey Graham have given him props for that. So I think that that is really important. The reality is this is a fight between rules-based international order and autocracy. And he's got to keep making this case, this is not just about someplace far away that we haven't been. But it is about who we are and we need to keep fighting for them. And for that reason, it's going to play in 2024. But he he's on the right side of history here, but he's got to keep making the case.
2: Donald Trump's going to be on the other side of this issue, right, Rick? By the time there's any kind of a real back and forth, Trump's going to be saying, bring the money back home, right? Let's stop this war with Russia. I could I could have ended this. It would never have happened if I was president. We're wasting our money.
3: Yeah. As we get into the presidential cycle, it will be interesting to see what kind of backbone these Republicans and Democrat candidates who are running have. Yeah. Uh, You know, when our campaign in 2008 was in the doldrums uh, last place, uh, John McCain came up with the brilliant idea of sort of campaigning on pushing the surge in Iraq. a Very unpopular thing. But it won him the nomination. So are there are there brave people running for president who are willing to. Uh, especially when it looks bad to stick their neck out and say no we're staying that distance we're going to double down on this commitment we're going to back them up for all the reasons that Jeannie just said because this is a real you know
2: epic battle of good versus evil you know from what we understand Jeannie, that ukraine money as rick pointed out uh not a lot of it has been spent but won't likely last the year is that going to collide with the budget debate that surrounds the debt ceiling as well
7: It's certainly going to come up, and I think the case that the president has to make, and he has to use his supporters from Mitch McConnell to Lindsey Graham and other Republicans to make the case, it all hasn't been spent. We can do this. This is not an issue of money for us. And in terms of the campaign, this is why I'm going to be watching Monday, as I know everybody else will be, does he go over there? Because that would be great video for the campaign. It would also help shore up public support. Otherwise, we may see Zelensky, may see Zelensky go to Poland, um, because... Because, you know, all the cool kids have gone over. And so Biden is the last, including our first lady. So Biden is the last. And I think we may see him go for that reason if it's safe.
2: You wonder, maybe not Keith, but maybe you just dip into Living Eve or somewhere kind of nearby. We'll see how that goes.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
8: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want. Optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of visit bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more
1: you're listening to bloomberg sound on with
2: joe matthew on bloomberg radio We've had a running conversation here in Washington about regulating crypto for months, what, years now? And nothing has really, of course, come to fruition. Even doubts about whether lawmakers know what they're talking about. All the while, the chair of the SEC has been cracking down on his own and creating some controversy along the way. Nathan Dean at Bloomberg Intelligence dares to use two words in his crypto policy watch out today. Regulatory clarity. And he's with us now to talk about it. The senior government analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Nathan Dean. Welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you're actually putting odds on crypto regulations happening this year in Congress, and they're actually not great, are they?
9: No, I mean, if you think about what the industry wants, and it's really like like I said before, regulatory clarity, you know, there's been a lot of proposals that came out at the tail end of 2022. There's going to be more proposals that are coming out this year. But even in the light of FTX and this current SEC crackdown, I mean, even uh, uh, just recently the SEC came out and said that they've uh, come to an agreement with former NBA player Paul Peirce over uh, huh. his uh, uh, his crypto uh, uh, disclosures and so forth. Like, I think he's going to pay something like uh, just north of a million dollars in penalties for that. Um, but even with all that happening going on and everybody's agreeing that we should do something, or at least most people are agreeing we should do something there's just not general consensus on what that is. And so our take is is that you're going to see a lot of proposals come out from the beginning of this year, a lot of debate. Uh key proposals to watch will probably come from the Senate Banking Committee, the Senate Ag Committee. Um how friendly they are to crypto still to be determined, but mm-hmm. we're we're putting it about 40% chance of uh passage this year because we're just not uh We're not feeling that Congress actually knows exactly what they want to do. Forty
2: percent chance. This is why I love the analysis that comes out of B.I., Bloomberg Intelligence, uh, the SEC. Important that you mention this. And by the way, I'm looking at their announcement here charging NBA Hall of Famer Paul Pierce for unlawfully touting and making misleading statements about crypto security. My God, there's going to be a lot of celebrities and athletes here licking their wounds uh, for, uh, for what they got into in crypto. Just ask Tom Brady, right?
9: yeah exactly i mean we saw kim kardashian we've seen a couple of other celebrities over the years and this is just all as part of one strategy that's going on over at the sec and my colleague Elliot stein put out a note this morning uh highlighting all the actions that the sec has done i mean if you think about the sec has gone after ripple the sec is currently uh just this week is going after terraform the uh you know there was a settlement with kraken for 30 million dollars and really, this goes back to what Sherman Ginsler has been saying for the last year and a half. And he's, what he's been saying is, come in and register and come in and talk to us. Because if on, in, in the SEC's mind, crypto tokens outside of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a commodity. It's deemed by the courts as a commodity. But pretty much everything else is a security. And therefore, 1930s era securities law still applies. If you talk to the industry, they'll say, we have a new digital asset class. This is brand new. Yeah. Regulations from you know 90 years ago just don't apply to us. Right. And because neither side is wacky, acquiesced to the other, the SEC is bringing forth these cases. And ultimately, for the industry, they're going to get clarity in one of two ways. It's either going to come from Congress, and we just mm-hmm. said 40% chance there, mm-hmm. or it's going to come from the courts. And our take is, is that the courts actually may be looking favorably at the SEC in a lot of this.
2: How about that? OK, well, you mentioned the Kraken settlement. Every time Gary Gensler announces something like this, Nathan, the crypto community cries for that again, regulatory clarity. How how could legislation change that? If it's not this year, it's going to be eventually.
9: Yeah, so there's really two main pieces here and you have the, the stablecoin piece and then you have everything else. And I'll start with stablecoin he- here because... Even though we think that there's a 40% chance of passage this year, we are more favorable on a stablecoin-specific piece of legislation. We're we're putting around a 60% chance on that. And Mm -hmm. what this would probably entail, uh, this is actually probably coming from the House Financial Services Committee, is you're going to have a bill that would require stablecoins to be backed by 100% high-quality liquid assets. Uh, It would give bank issuers the ability to register with the Federal Reserve and go under Federal Reserve Oversight. The holdup is on non-bank issuers, so like Paxos and so forth, like that. Uh, you know, the current thinking is is that non-bank issuers could potentially eventually regular or register with state regulators. But even just recently, the SEC has put out statements sort of questioning whether state regulators are there. So, the stable thing, stablecoin piece, we think can happen this year. For everything else, you know, some of the provisions you're looking for is what is a commodity versus a security. Uh, If you get a commodity status like Bitcoin and the CFTC ultimately gets authority over spot markets, that's a lot less regulation, in my view, than if you're dealing with the SEC. Mm -hmm. But anything that's going to pass, 95% of the crypto industry is going to remain under the jurisdiction of the SEC. And more likely than not, it's going to be very stringent on regulatory requirements in terms of customer protections, custodial governance, anti-money laundering, know your customer, disclosures, which cost money. It's a cost that the industry may want to, you know, some in the industry will absolutely want this. But for those that are favoring a decentralized market, that's not exactly what they want.
2: It's not at all. And it costs a lot of money to talk to the SEC, doesn't it, Nathan?
9: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just in this is just ballpark figures, but you know, when Chairman Gensler says come in and talk to us, well, if you're going to approach the SEC, you need external legal counsel, and that costs money. I mean, we've heard we've heard folks say that they've spent somewhere $100,000 to $250,000 oh. just for one meeting. And wow. if you and I decide to go to our garage and create a New crypto platform—that's mm-hmm. oh, not money that we really want to spend at the moment. So it, it's not as easy as it sounds. And you know what we see a lot of times in regulations is that when you have this type of industry-altering regulation come out, it's usually the folks that are either have the the crypto, sp- uh, the technology spend, the legal spend, the risk spend, yep. high backers. They usually gain market share as the mom and pop suffer.
2: This is incredible insight. You're suggesting that if I'm if I'm reading you right, or maybe we can advance this a little bit. If, if you're a startup crypto firm, it's probably it's cheaper for you to run the risk of being fine than to actually interface with the SEC.
9: Well, you know, a lot of the blue. In fact, Bloomberg News just reported today that, you know, Bonance is thinking about just, you know, essentially segregating itself from the United States. We've heard a lot of this from the crypto community of. <laughs> Why should I even play in the United States? You know, yeah. there's this idea here is that the U.S. regulation is not going to change at least until, let's say, the, the 2024 presidential election. If you get a Republican president, then maybe it would. But that's two years. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of these firms, that's, not, that's two years they don't want, don't want to spend. So there's more of a momentum, I think, for crypto firms to move outside in the United States. The European Union has a more favorable regulatory framework. Yeah. The United Kingdom just put out a uh, the Treasury in the United Kingdom just put out a consultation that's more favorable. Dubai, Hong Kong. Huh. So there's this idea out here is just, you know what, we're going to take our toys and go play somewhere else. Well, that's and we'll it. Come back to the U.S. If we want to.
2: And that's the great concern that pro crypto lawmakers have here, right, is that we blow our chance to regulate a nascent industry here or currency or whatever you want to call it. And you just let the whole thing go offshore
9: yeah exactly and there's a lot of there's a lot of policy makers that would just say you know what it's better to just let it go you know this is something that the crypto industry struggles with because you know for those of us who work in crypto we think it's a very big deal but when you took it when you look at the total market cap for crypto you're just south of a billion or sorry a trillion dollars you know the new york stock exchange the last time i saw it was like 29 trillion dollars and so for all the attention it gets, it's crypto is also just a second tier issue when you talk about things like inflation and China and stimulus and economics and so forth like that. And this is where I think the absence of uh, you know Sam Bankman-Fried is going to be felt is uh, you know he was very much a proponent of trying to get this regulation in front of policymakers mm-hmm. and keep it at the high uh, part of their priority lists. Certainly, we've seen Coinbase try this. We've seen the trade associations continue to try this. Uh, but somebody's going to have to keep that issue at the forefront of this year, or else it's just going to get lost amongst a lot of other priorities.
2: He's the senior government analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence with us here in our Washington studios. Nathan Dean, find his column on the terminal, the BI Policy Watch, U.S. Crypto Framework Outlook. Nathan, thanks so much as ever for the insights today. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Let's reassemble the panel for their take on it. Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Genie, 40% odds. Bloomberg Intelligence cuts through the muck here. Forget all the talk. They don't see it happening. I suspect you agree.
7: I do. I love the percentage. Thank you Bloomberg Intelligence. I For real. <laughs> that's the best. And you know, it you, what you said towards the end is absolutely right. I mean, we heard the same thing from Tim Scott, who's the ranking member on the committee. He said part of the problem is not just that the guidance has been unclear, but the lack of clarity is driving them out of the outside of the United States. And so this is certainly a concern, and there are so many competing proposals and ideas out there and quite frankly the one that had the bipartisan support that had some momentum last year was written by bankman fried and of course that now has gone by the wayside and so you know we are left in this sort of no man's land and i think that they are absolutely right when they say the chances right now look really dim
2: it's a recurring message from the industry though and we've had this talk in just the last week here with harvey pitt on this program Rick Davis the the industry is is crying out for some rules of the road here all the while uh, the SEC is kind of picking its battles and creating a lot of confusion but it looks like that doesn't end anytime soon
3: yeah, I was really surprised when Gary Gensler was picked to run the SEC. I thought he'd be the leader of this, right? And and as Jeannie pointed out, Tim Scott's been looking for guidance from Gensler. Sherrod yeah. Brown, the chairman of the committee, has been looking for guidance from Gensler. And, you know, if it costs you $150,000 to have a meeting with Gensler, you imagine I mean, that's that? a racket. How, how do I get into that? <laughs> um, but, um, but at the end of the day, I, I do think, I mean, like the only thing I would – would say might survive, and it's not really uh, regulatory, but uh, there is a lot of impetus for consumer protection uh, mm-hmm. around uh, crypto in uh, Washington D.C. and and so I, I could see a consumer protection bill. Uh, where members could go out and say, okay, you know, we've, we put up, you know, disclosure regulations, we put up, you know, uh, safe harbors for, for consumers to be able to play in this. Uh, and, and, and yet not actually address the big, uh, big issues of, you know, whether or not these tokens are security or commodity or whether or not they ought to be regulated as Nathan Dean has discussed. So, so there may be some action. There enormous pressure on this. Um, yeah. And I would say, too, one thing that is a a problem for Congress is this is a new industry. Uh, uh, Wall Street's done a better job of sort of getting ahead of it and understanding it uh, than government hallways in Capitol Hill or in the Treasury Department. Uh, It's hard to find experts on the Hill who can talk to members intelligently about, you know, what the impact of these uh, various crypto um, uh, opportunities are. And so that's one of the reasons why you don't have a lot of action right now is because there's just no, not the infrastructure that you would normally have.
2: It's fascinating. Rick just outlined two great job opportunities uh, for your up and coming students. Jeannie, I hope that you're listening and taking notes here. The fact of the matter is, a lot of the students in your class probably know more than we do about this. But if this does go offshore, they'll be on their VPNs buying uh, you know, coins or, that we've never heard of through exchanges based in other countries if they want to it's 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 a much different game than than traditional banking regulation
7: it is i was taking notes on what rick said forget the students i'll get that job that rick's talking <laughs> about job. and you know vp what joe man no i know what the vpn <laughs> is but you know listen you know cryptocurrency it was a libertarian revolution against government control of money so in mm. some ways it's not surprising How where true. we are and in other ways it's maddening especially consider considering what rick was just talking about the consumer issues attached, which we all just lived through with FTX. And absolutely, students understand this well. I ask my sons to explain it to me constantly. <laughs> um, you know, they try and I and I shake my head. But, you know, it is something that Congress, to Rick's point, is simply not been adept at regulating and talking about and understanding, you know. And, of course, that means they rely on insiders like Sam Bankman-Fried. And to me, that is always a concern.
2: Yeah, again, you saw how well that worked out. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel for the rest of the hour here. Is it possible the U.S. just shot down a hobby balloon? Recall President Biden's remarks from yesterday. As we discussed, we still do not know exactly what the second, third or fourth objects
4: were that the U.S. shot down. Listen, we don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather, or conducting other scientific research.
2: Huh. Enter the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, known as the NIBBB which declared one of its balloons missing in action on February 15th, Aviation Week, got the story rolling on this, has been picked up everywhere. The club's silver-coated, party-style Pico balloon reported its last position on February 10th at 38,910 feet off the west coast of Alaska. And a popular forecasting tool projected that the cylindrical shaped object, of course, one was described as such, already by the government, would be floating high over the central part of the Yukon Territory ding on February 11th. Aviation Week reports and reminds us that is the same day an F-22 shot one down of similar description in that same and general area. And apparently the man to talk to you about this is Ron Meadows, the founder of Scientific Balloon Solutions, which is a company based in Silicon Valley that makes these purpose-built Pico balloons I'm talking about for hobbyists, for educators for scientists exactly like president biden said i think even in the same order yesterday ron i really appreciate your being with us here uh did they just shoot down one of your balloons
10: well it's hard to say without seeing a picture but the description of a cylindrical object is the shape of the balloons that we produce typically the party balloons um, so there's two types of balloons that the industry can fly. When I say industry, I mean ham radio operators, mm-hmm. uh, people doing science, um, STEM education, schools. Um, they can fly just an inexpensive party balloon that they can go buy at a store. Typically, they don't fly as high. And they uh, typically are round. Um, the one that was shot down um, near Michigan yeah, that one was probably a party balloon when they talked about uh-huh. the long wires hanging down underneath yes, it. Yes, yeah, right. It's probably 20-meter, um, they call it whisper, WSPR. It's like shortwave communications, long-distance communications. Got it. And um, it, it fit that description of that group's balloon.
2: So this is the news to all of us, Ron. You're an expert. When you heard these reports, your your own antenna went up, I'm guessing, you in you had an idea what this was.
10: Yes, yes, I, I had a real good idea. <laughs> um, the description of the cylindrical object is like our SBS 13 that we build scientific balloon solutions. And we primarily build that for the education STEM community. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they buy these balloons, they put a small Tracking system on them that is basically the size of a popsicle stick that weighs between 10 and 20 grams. Mm-hmm. There's two types of communications. One is called APRS that carries a, about a 19-inch antenna, and the other one is Whisper, and that's about a 20-foot long antenna. Um, the radar signature of these are minimal to none, Although I'm not an expert in that field, uh, the long antenna for whisper may be picked up easier than um, the direct line-of-sight communications-type tracking system. Yeah. But you have to keep in mind that these are um, 10 to 20-gram tracking systems, Yeah. and we are FAA-exempt for launching them in the United States. Do they get think, lost uh, pretty often? Typically, they're never recovered. Every once yeah. in a while, one will be it's recovered. It's no big deal, though, right?
2: Because they, I, I'm reading that they cost as little as $12 each. Is that true?
10: Um, yeah, a party balloon does. The ones okay. we sell are in the um, $150 range for education.
2: So that's the, that's so, like the, the sweet package. But the idea here is we, we spent a, a $380,000 missile potentially to shoot down a $12 balloon.
10: Yeah, and really all they had the jet had to do is to just fly close to that balloon and it would have taken it out with the, turtles. are you ever going to know? Can we prove whether this is what, what you think it is? Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to see pictures. You asked, you reached
2: out to the Pentagon. I, I read, is that true?
10: Um, I tried calling DOD Homeland Security, um, the air force, multiple, um, multiple calls, um, yeah. local FBI, didn't seem to have any interest. Um, this is incredible the, to me. The, the national FBI did take my report, but I haven't heard anything back. I was trying uh-huh. to let them know that these things have been flying, the technology that we developed, because I believe we're the only company in the world that designs and builds and sells right. small super-pressure balloons to the yeah. um, amateur and STEM education community. Right. Um, wow. It's, it's something that uh, we've been flying since 2015 um, and a lot of um, universities, middle schools. In fact, we yeah. have one middle school was the first middle school to fly around the world.
2: You're not going to tell um, me that some students lost, had their balloon shot down, are you?
10: It's very possible. Wow. Ron, I appreciate
2: your coming in uh, to talk to us. We learned a lot here. Ron Meadows, his company... <laughs> is Scientific Balloon Solutions, a Silicon Valley-based company that makes these balloons that we may well uh, have shot down, trading an F-22 mission and $380,000 Sidewinder missile for a $12 balloon. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Is this really how this story is going to end, Rick? Yeah, sure. Uh,
3: I, I think this was the most entertaining part of the aerial objects <laughs> debate this week that I've heard. Um, it was. It's answered more questions than the president of the United States could give us. So uh, I, well, I think he, giving he time knew. to uh, to Ron was a, a worthy task here.
2: He knew exactly what it was when he heard the the, the descriptions coming out of the Pentagon, genie I mean, the, 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 we, we think we, we have figured this out, right?
7: Yeah, although I have mixed feelings about this, Joe. I'm very happy for Ron and, you know, that he feels like he's identified it because on the one hand, yeah, we were all waiting to see who owns this thing because you shoot something down three times, clearly somebody owns these things. Yeah. But the reality is I thought maybe they were extraterrestrials and as we know, so, I was waiting for us all to be dead. visiting. Did on SoundOn, and so it's a little sad for me that that's not going to happen.
2: It would explain, though, Rick. I mean, if as we were talking yesterday, if these things are really lost, what kind of wreckage are you going to have left from something from this twelve-dollar balloon that weighs ounces? Yeah, well, no wonder they can't find anything. Exactly, it,
3: it vanished. I mean, as he said, so you can fly near know. the thing and it's going to pop. <laughs> right. um, look, this falls into the category in Washington where if it's not true, it ought to be. <laughs>
2: I like that. That's got to be the name of your uh, of your book. I, that That's fantastic. Uh, but Ron, you know, I hope Ron Meadows understands that he's beaming at 50,000 watts here across the Potomac from our transmitter in Washington to the Pentagon. Uh, are you surprised, Jeannie, that he did not get a call back or are they still listening to that message laughing about it?
7: No, I think they're listening to sound on. They're going to get Ron right on the phone right now, and they're going to clarify this. You know, I wish Ron had talked to Joe Biden before. We all know I didn't. wasn't a fan of that press conference yesterday. You know, if he had talked, we could have gotten more clarity on this. So, you know, maybe they will get back to Ron. I'm waiting to see because I'm still a little unclear. Does Ron, is Ron saying he owns all three or just one and there's two other people out there? This uh, that's all has a great to be question that
2: we only know of the one that was declared missing in action by the uh, the bottle cap balloon brigade but <laughs> all joking aside here rick this is kind of the like the guy the Pentagon would want to talk to, right? He runs the only company that makes balloons like this.
3: It would be pretty interesting if a Black Hawk helicopter lands in his backyard <laughs> oh, and there are these guys. Uh, where's Harry Stamper? Yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, hey, where's Ron? We want to talk. Mr. To Meadows, him. come with us. Yes, exactly. So uh, look, I mean, it, it, Jeannie's still hoping that one of the other three <laughs> were his, her alien balloon, um, and uh, and and I hope she's right. I'd hate her for her to be disappointed that you know she's not going to have an alien encounter anytime soon
2: i suppose the odds uh the odds would be with you still at this point Jeannie, um is is the trip next week gonna draw the attention away from the balloon uh gate debate here whatever we're calling it at this point like is it done this week in the news cycle Jeannie?
7: Um, Not if I can help it, Joe Matthew, but I think it might. <laughs> I we're think, trying
2: hard to bury this thing on this program right now.
7: <laughs> yeah, we like this one a lot. But, you know, I think Anthony Blinken may meet with his counterpart at the Munich conference. That may sort of tamp things down a bit. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Over the weekend, you never know. They shoot something else down. We could be right back at this on Tuesday.
2: That's true. It was a daily occurrence for a minute, wasn't it? Yes, the fifth dimension. Come on, let's do it right. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. Have a long weekend. I hope you do, too. I'm going to try. And I'll meet you back here Tuesday on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Subscribe to the podcast. Go to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find them. Search for Sound On. This is Bloomberg.